Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin. Over the past few months, I and the team at the Media Leader have upped our reporting of the gaming industry. There are over 3 billion gamers worldwide, and gaming has for years now been a bigger market than film and music combined. It's also become quite an interesting market to watch, with the likes of Netflix aggressively getting into gaming and sports teams investing in gaming ad tech companies to help develop in-game ad solutions. Most of the people I have spoken to on the subject of gaming have been gaming ad tech leaders and advertisers, but those perspectives can only give a narrow picture of what is going on in gaming more broadly. Last month at our Future of Gaming event, I took the stage alongside Shay Thompson to chat about her view of the gaming industry. Shay is a presenter and broadcaster covering gaming and among the most respected journalists in the UK on the subject. She has collaborated with the likes of BAFTA, McLaren, Xbox, Activision, and Ubisoft, and she currently appears on the BBC Sounds podcast, Press X to Continue. In our conversation, we ran the gamut of gaming topics, talking about everything from this year's biggest releases and how the New York Times has become a major gaming company, to why Shay thinks the metaverse is, quote, dead in the water. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shay and find her perspective as enlightening and candid as I did. We'll be releasing more audio from the Future of Gaming and the Future of Media Conferences as podcasts in the coming weeks. So stay tuned and enjoy. I'm really excited to be here talking about gaming, especially with Shay. I've been a video gamer for my entire life. So to sort of get into the commercial end of this and give a whole preview of what the gaming landscape looks like currently is... Uh, a bit of pleasure of mine, and I'm, I'm sure yours as well, Shay. So I guess, why don't we start by, you know, gaming has become, I feel like, more and more mainstream every year in broader culture since, you know, past you know, 10, 15 years. What would you say has been the biggest change in the past year in terms of more and more people either playing games or becoming aware of big gaming properties like The Last of Us, for instance? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think this year specifically, seeing like more like video game adaptations has kind of brought video games to the forefront of people's minds. Um, but then also, I think from a couple of years ago, even I think we're pretty much over this conversation topic, but it was really important, um, was the pandemic. Like mm. people sitting around playing or like doing nothing but playing games, um, stuff like Animal Crossing. We were just talking about like Wordle and New York Times connections people don't necessarily consider those as like big gaming properties but I think just that kind of like loop of like playing games in that way like waking up every single day to you know engage with fun um, and games and art in that way mm. I think has has made the big difference there. How would you describe who a gamer is in 2023 because I think a lot of people have an idea of what a gamer might have looked like in 2005 let's say uh, and it's very different now so what would be your read on, on the broad audience? Yeah, it's it's really funny. Whenever I'm like getting cabs like to and from places and I get asked about what I do, the first thing they ask me is, oh, so do you play the games? I'm like, yes, babe. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I do play games. Um, but I've been playing them my whole life. Yeah, there has been this idea that gamers are these like basement dwelling, like people who just never see the sun. Um, and yeah, that can be my life sometimes, but it's just, it's not the reality for, you know, massive amounts of people. Um, so like over 3 billion people worldwide play video games um, and it's pretty split, like, um, like gender wise. So you've got like, you know, over 50 of gamers being male that's kind of not surprising but then it's like 49 percent for um women or like female people um and then like in terms of like trans and non-binary people that's like another five percent and i feel like that's something that yeah kind of gets left out of the conversation but 
yeah, people, all sorts of people play video games. Yeah. When you get to a number as big as three billion, you're basically talking about everyone or every type of person. Exactly. Um, what are they playing or where are they playing? I mean, you have, you mentioned New York Times. Yeah, that's absolutely a game. That's on mobile probably for most people. Um, but there's also, you know, console and PC. Are the types of gamers that play in different areas different? How should people be thinking about where people are playing? Yeah, I think the more casual gamers, which actually makes up the largest part of the player base, they're playing games on mobile. And yeah, it's really funny. Like whenever I talk to people about being games, like, oh, like, you know, I could never, I just don't, I'm not dexterous enough to play first person shooters. But then they've like clocked in and have played like Candy Crush like since the beginning of time to the point where it's like scary. Like I don't have a thousand hours in anything, but like so many people, like older women, for example, have like countless hours in Candy Crush. Like it's it's wild. I'm like, how do you have the time for anything else? <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, yeah, console then kind of takes up the biggest chunk after um, after PC, uh, sorry, after mobile gaming. And then after that, it's PC, the more dedicated nerds of the more. Yeah. <laughs> the ones especially that build their own PCs. Exactly. In terms of the ecosystem that has sprouted around all the games, you mentioned the pandemic, places like Twitch, YouTube, people that are streaming games, that's opened up an entire new audience. Esports is also huge. People that aren't necessarily even playing the games are still involved in the gaming community. Um, can you speak a little bit to how that's developed and where you see uh, the likes of uh, around the game? being today yeah no totally like um especially with the pandemic so many people were just like tuning in to watch live streams like everyone just kind of remembered that twitch existed and the viewership just shot right up um and it wasn't even just like people playing games on there like i i tuned in one time and someone was like making a sword like just doing like blacksmithery i don't even know if that's the right term but it was like the <laughs> wildest thing i've ever seen but it was really cool um so yeah that's that's a a really big like audience that I think sometimes gets forgotten. Um, but there are like brands like doing some really exciting work um, in places like that. For example, Charlotte Tilbury um, has a Twitch channel and they do like get ready with me's, but then they also do uh, like live streams of like Apex Legends and stuff like that. And mm. those are words, first of all, that are not in the Bible, but also like that you never think to put together. Like yeah. I, you know, as someone who has loads of different like interests, the fact that like a maker brand would want to work specifically with like gamers and like do it in like such a meaningful way like has meant a lot and they've seen you know a lot of like growth on that channel and um yeah for for their brand in that way mm. so more opportunity you would say for for more brands to get involved absolutely yeah i think there's this idea that gamers like only play games and i know that is definitely like a certain subset of them <laughs> like don't get me wrong but um yeah a lot of interest a lot of gamers have a lot of different interests. I think um, one that I'm sort of seeing a lot of crossover like recently, but not necessarily seeing a lot of like partnerships happen with is like fitness. That's like the big one um, that I think once once people wake up and mm. realize that, yeah, some gamers like to leave their house and move their bodies, there could be some really exciting work happening there. Um, at this conference last year, I think the word metaverse probably came up constantly. I think even at the other uh, event yesterday and earlier today, the, the, the word metaverse came up almost as a, a pejorative, like, oh, well, that didn't really pan out quickly in, in the short term. Is the metaverse dead? Is it not dead? Has it been redefined? Did gamers ever actually care about this term or was it ever or was it always just sort of something that was up on high and, and being sort of placed down upon people that are in the gaming community? 
Yeah. It's interesting that you asked the question, was the metaverse really alive? I just, it just wasn't, it wasn't ever a thing for me to begin with. Mm. I, which is kind of mean to say, I hope there are like no metaverse like investors in the room. <laughs> but like, I, I think what it is, is it's really frustrating because you had stuff like Second Life existing, you know, that was the metaverse. So it kind of being presented as this like brand new, like revolutionary thing was really surprising to me. And I was like, it's also just not that great. Like I, mm-hmm. I've never, when I play games, like it kind of stops at, you know, whenever I leave my desk or whenever I, you know, turn my console off, like, that's it. Um, And it just kind of felt really condescending to, like, people who've been making games for years, people who've been talking about games for years, and also, like, the game players themselves. So I think it's dead in the water. I think it's pretty safe to say. And I think um, there's a good reason for that. It just just wasn't really exciting uh, to begin with. Yeah, I mean, any application of it really just never felt like something that I should invest my time in. And one thing about gamers, they are very passionate. They are a very vocal like consumer group, um, but they weren't wrong about that one thing. Mm. Yeah. I suppose it's, uh, part of it's been rebranded a bit to the Robloxes or Fortnites of the world yeah. as, as that sort of metaverse. I mean, these are massively popular games. So there's still that demand for perhaps in-game community, but maybe not, you don't require having a, a AR VR headset yet. Um, have someday i don't know how you feel about that no exactly like those things just exist like those little like niches and those spaces existed exist and they have existed like since the beginning of like gaming time Mm. um i think this need to kind of put them in these little like boxes like i said felt kind of condescending and i honestly don't know anyone that can wear a vr headset for more than half an hour without feeling sick i know that i can't and i definitely yeah i'm sure they're they're working on uh Fixing those kinks. I hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm curious from the end of from the perspective of publishers, game mm-hmm. publishers and developers, do they feel like there's more pressure on them to diversify their revenue source? Because uh, we were talking earlier, at, you know, games have stayed around sixty to seventy bucks mm-hmm. for 25, 30 years, yeah. and yet development costs have skyrocketed. So you would think that they're looking for new ways to diversify their revenue. They've done that through microtransactions. But is there extra room or pressure on them to look into advertising as an additional medium? And where do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting one because with the like conversation about like microtransactions, like DLC and stuff, like where DLC before felt like a genuine like bonus and like you know additional content that was like a fully fleshed thing. Now it just kind of feels like parts of the game that should have been there from the beginning are being Mm. like taken out and then being like repackaged and sold back to gamers. And like I said, you know, they're not dumb. They know when they're being like sold to in a really like foul kind of way. Um, So I think, yeah, there is more pressure to, yeah, on the advertiser side to kind of like pick up the slack a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Opportunity. Yes. Perhaps more than pressure. Yeah, probably the better word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We mentioned the New York Times is, is, I mean, perhaps one of the biggest gaming brands in the world um, with Wordle and and you mentioned Connections. Another big entertainment company that is getting into gaming more and more is Netflix. We were talking about that a little bit earlier as well. Um, How do you view these sort of new entrants into the gaming space? Um, Because the likes of, let's say, Google with Stadia didn't work out at least a few years ago. They might look to enter again, I'm not sure. How do you view those new entrants coming in? I think it's always going to be exciting, right? Like we have our sort of big three in the gaming 
world, your Sony, your PlayStation, and Microsoft. Um, so having like a big player like Amazon or Google and now Netflix kind of step into the space was really exciting. I think the problem is that they haven't really like understood like what it is that's so compelling about video games. Um, mm. And that's probably why, um, like for example, like Amazon's kind of foray didn't take off in the way that they'd hoped. And I just think with like Google as well, the infrastructure um, just isn't there to kind of support it. Netflix is a bit more exciting though, because they have taken existing like IPs and have like built that into their into their platform, um, making it like really easy for people to access it if you don't have a console or like any sort of traditional way to play games. So yeah, I think that's like my the most diplomatic read I can sort of give of it. Um and I like I said, I think it's way more exciting and I think it has more uh more chance of it like taking off uh, than the other two. Mm. Yeah. When you mentioned that perhaps some some of these bigger companies haven't known exactly what is so appealing mm-hmm. about gaming, what did you mean by that? <sighs> what is so appealing about gaming to you from a consumer yeah. perspective, but also I suppose from a business perspective? The reason why I decided again, I'm trying to choose my words yeah. very very carefully because I got in trouble the last time I did this. <laughs> um, with with Amazon's, uh, I think it was. Lost Ark or like Crucible, those are like the two titles. Um, And at the time of their release, I just think, so I think the Lost Ark was a kind of um, like an MMO, like a massive multiplayer online game. And the Crucible was like a first person shooter, like a hero shooter in the same vein as um, Valorant or Overwatch. And I can name those two. I can name characters in both of those games. They were very memorable. They had like a really satisfying like gameplay loop you know, kind of fast-paced, uh, team-based <laughs> gameplay. All of these things that, like, gamers love. It's fun, it's engaging, it's memorable. And I don't think that that was the case for Crucible. I don't think um, the Lost Ark was memorable in the same way. Like, we play games for stories. We play games to for escapism. Mm. And none of those titles um, hit in that same vein. On the, yeah, on the Google side, like I mentioned me personally, like, I don't need to have, like, cloud access to my Baldur's Gate 3, say, for example. Like, mm. I will, I'll just wait until I get home or I'll play, I'll get a Steam Deck if I'm, like, itching to play it that bad. Like, I, the, the desire is just not there yet. It's like trying to solve a problem that doesn't yet really exist. That's, that's the Google problem on the Amazon side. It's just lacking in creativity. We only have about a minute left. I want to make sure I ask you, you mentioned Baldur's Gate 3. Mm-hmm. I assume that's what you're playing right now. Yeah. Looking forward, what do you think are the big games, but also the big uh, trends that you see in the next year or so coming up in this gaming space? God, trends. I don't know about trends. I think we're probably going to see a lot more adaptations. And I I think it was literally like yesterday, um, A24 like announced that they're going to be going into like more like action, like IP focused works. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are really annoyed by that. But if A24 like got their hands on something like Disco Elysium, for example, like that would be incredible. I Fantastic think. game. So yeah, I want to see like more creative uh, like video game adaptations and in terms of trends. Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. So more intermingling of big media companies that necessarily not necessarily gotten into games to a big extent are coming in and seeing opportunity. Yeah, but doing it in a fun and creative way, please. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my hope. All right, well, we're out of time, but so we'll have to leave it there. Um, but thanks so much, Shay, and, and please, uh, audience. 
Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.